God, I ask you to be with Pastor Jason now as he brings forth your word. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What great singing this morning. And as I was thinking about that song, I read this week that the, the church in Kabul, Afghanistan, had been martyred this week. And um, thinking of the words of that song, that's all they cared about was Jesus. And so just remember to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan um, who are being brutally murdered. Um, if you go online, you can read the story. I didn't bring it here this morning. It just kind of came to mind. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal heart for Christ in the midst of death. And I pray that we would be the same way if it ever came to us. But they had Jesus. How could you want more? How could you want more? Well, today we are going to be in Genesis chapter 1. So if you get to Genesis, we, I think we're going to Psalms a couple times, but we're going to be majority in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Don't waste your work. Worshiping God while you work. Today, as we leave here today, I want us to have this understanding that as humans, as humanity, we were created to work. Our existence reflects our Creator and you see, worshiping God just does not stop here as we leave this building this morning. A great time of worship this morning, we would agree. And singing is a part of that worship. But our lives each and every day should reflect worship of God. And our hobbies, with our families, playing sports, studying. I know that's not really something you want to think about, students. Work. Work. We can worship God. Can you imagine seeing this slogan? You were created to work. I can see that as a slogan of a, of, a, of a workaholic boss that wants you to come in on the weekends and work. You were created to work. But do you realize that in a lifetime, we're doing a lot of things I don't think we think about. I, I read some statistics there. You'll see the, the slide here. And if you lived between 75 and 80 years of your life, you will spend 20 years sleeping. Some of you are like, yes, probably more for some teenage girls that I had living in my house. 20 years working, you will spend 20, 23 years working in your lifetime, seven years playing, five years just waiting around, nine years on your phone. Now, that's probably not the older generation, but the, anyone that's younger understands that. Here's, I don't, this is not up on the screen, but here's just some fun facts about the church aspect of that. Nuns and monks, because they live at church, they would spend 62 years of their life in church. Or 62 years in their lifetime. For Christers, those that go to church at Christmas and Easter, they call them Christers, go to church twice a year, you will spend six days in your lifetime going to church. For us that go to church two, three times a week or involved with ministries and things, it comes to about 260 days in a lifetime that we are in church and serving the Lord. Now think about this for a minute. Those stats kind of, kind of I was a little uh, interested in these particular stats. We, we participate in a lot of things in our life. So what are we doing while we're participating in these mundane tasks, as we call them? What are you doing while you're working? Of course, we know what you're doing when you're sleeping. What are you doing when you're waiting around? 
Actually, the number one fundamental question that is asked in a non-secular worldview is this. What is the purpose of my life? Why do I exist? Why am I standing on this fear they call earth? Why am I here? What are, what are we doing here? Maybe some of us have asked that question. Well, that leads us to a doctrine which is called anthropology. It's the study of man or its origin. So as a pastor, all the pastors that are here employed had to go through a, what we call an ordination. And an ordination is you stand before a, a group of pastors and they grill you. They call it a barbecue because you're getting grilled about what you believe and why you believe it. And so I'm going to read you the statement that I have in my doctrinal statement on anthropology, what man is. And here's what it says. I believe that God created man out of the dust of the ground and was made in the image of God. We were created with intelligence, emotional, will, rational, rationale, and morals. Now I'm stopping there. My, my, the doctrinal statement continues, but next week it goes on the topic of sin and depravity, which we know and we understand that. But I don't think we understand who we're created in the image of in our life. That we're image bearers of God. There's a fable that I heard, an illustration of a fable of, a, of an eagle and a prairie chicken. In this fable, uh, there's a family who actually raised prairie chickens. I don't even, I don't, can't say I've ever seen a prairie chicken before. Um, but raised prairie chickens and the young boy went out into the woods, climbed a tree and found an eagle egg. He brought that eagle egg back into their prairie chicken farm and set it within the other eggs. Well, weeks went by and that eagle hatched and just walked around acting like a prairie chicken, pecking at seeds, not flying. And one day the shadow flew over the, chick, the prairie chicken coop and the eagle said to one of its buddies, he says, what is that? And the prairie chicken said, that is the mother of all birds. That's the eagle, and you'll never be one. I tell that fable, that story, because in our culture, in our world today, we have been lied to. We have been duped. We have been told that we are nobodies, haven't we? Students, you have been taught evolution in school, that we just kind of evolved, and here we are. We have been told we're just prairie chickens. We've been told that we're this matter that evolved into eventually a tadpole and then somehow we evolved into this monkey and then somehow evolved into this Neanderthal man and somehow well, here we are, this sophisticated human being. We've been told we are prairie chickens. But I'm here to tell you this morning, we are images of the Most High God. Young people understand that. When you hear that garbage that comes into your classroom, understand. Yeah, you listen to it, okay, fine. I'm an image bearer of God. I didn't come from a monkey. Amen? We need to understand that truth. We're not accidents. We're not blobs of matter. I, I love what David said. Psalms 8, verses 3 and 4 says this. Here's what he said. He says, And when I look at your heavens, the, finger, uh, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Again, circle this text here because this, uh, this, is a, this is, talks about creation. Look at verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? David had the same question. God, well, who am I, God, that you would care for me? See, God's enemies and critics, well, the chief of them being Satan, they're dumbfounded that God would share and risk his honor and his reputation by making the likes of us. 
Human beings are tiny specks in God's chasm of creation. Think about the galaxies and all the things. And here we are, tiny little humans on this big globe. Actually, the globe's little compared to God's creation. Yet, we are the ones who will share in God's eternal glory. We are the ones, or we're, we're, we're put in charge and entrusted in his creation. Church, I want us to be theologically in thought this morning about who you are. What's your purpose on this earth? And we have to go back to the idea that God created us. And so this morning we're going to look at three truths this morning that we can look at, see why we can worship why we work, why we can worship with our family, why we, we can do things because we understand our purpose, we understand our creator. So our first truth this morning is this. Number one, God created us. God created us, and we're going to be eventually in Genesis 1.26, but right now I'm going to read Genesis 1, 1 through 5. Let's just read through the first five, ber- first, first five verses of the Bible. And it says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that was good, And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Now I want to pause here for a moment and understand we come to some truth and some biblical idea about creation. We're going to stop. We're going to talk about this a minute because this is something that our young people may be confused about in our educational system. So I want to stop and just explain it to you. And it it comes on that word day. The last last word of verse 5 the evening and the morning were the, what? The first day. It comes from the Hebrew word yom. And guess what that word means? It means a 24-hour period of time. See, when God created the world, he created time. See, God is outside of time, isn't he? Eternity past, eternity future. We live inside time. So when was time recreated? When God says the evening and the morning were the first day. In fact, our, in Jewish history, they followed this evening and morning idea by what? The Sabbath. The Sabbath day starts on what? Friday evening and ends end of business on Saturday. Evening, morning, first day. Now there's four particular beliefs in the area of how we got here. One, of course, is evolution by Charles Darwin who believes that we just combustion and matter, boom, and all of a sudden, through billions of years of evolving, here we are this sophisticated being. It takes a lot of faith to believe that, doesn't it? Then you have theistic evolution. So they throw God into the mix on this one. This is really cute. So God created or he started something and then he became distant and non-personal with his creation and says, we'll let it evolve. That's not my God. Is it your God? No. So evolution, theistic evolution. And then you have two creation stands, old earth and young earth. Old earth is this belief that the earth is still millions and billions of years old because, because between the days of creation, there were millions of, day, millions of years between those days. Okay. So when did time come into place, we ask? I'll, I'll tell you why. It says it right here. Faith Bible Church would be considered young earth creationists. Why? Because we take genealogies and we follow them back to the beginning of time. And we believe the earth to be only six to 7,000 years old. Why? Because that word day is key. God spoke time into existence at that very moment. And the evening and the morning were the first day. 
Brothers and sisters, young people, please pay attention. Remember we said this is truth. And for many, time, for many of us in the educational system, we're laughed at for believing this. But brothers and sisters, young people, be laughed at. Be laughed at because you're standing on the truth of God's word. It t- isn't it easy to believe that we have a creator that made us? I- I'm not a smart guy. So I'm like, yeah, yeah you made me. Oh, great God, I believe, you made me. I believe that. But to believe that things just kind of ex- just came into existence, I just don't understand that. But we have God's word saying he created the world. In days, 24-hour periods. Now, that was just extra for you this morning. When we come to a text, we have something that's very controversial in our society. We want to touch base and talk about why we believe this. Well, let's get back to this idea of not wasting our work and worshiping God Why we work. Let's look at Genesis 1, 26-27. We see that God created the birds, the animals, the trees, the earth in five days. Light, darkness, water. But what did he do on day six? Look at verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man. Now I want you to, we're going to come, we're going to end with this particular verse. So keep this highlighted. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created them. God worked. God created. He formed during creation. And if we're made in his likeness, guess what, brothers and sisters? We were made to work. We were made to cultivate. We were made to build. See, I love this passage because God says, I created, and then here is your purpose, creation. And we're going to talk about what what, what man's purpose is. This is this idea of being theocentric. We're God-centered. Hopefully us as Christians, we believe God. We are God-centered. And so we're going to look at these three words here this morning in this text, in this particular point. God created us. Do we believe that this morning? God created us. Okay, that's the first truth. Number one is this, the word image. It's found five times in this text. And what the Hebrew means here is it's, it's form, it's likeness, it's a model, pattern. So when we see God created us in his image, he, we, are his, we are his likeness, his model, a pattern after God. You ever think about that? You ever think about who we're created for, out of? How we're created in the likeness of God? Likeness, the Hebrew word there is resembles or it's similar in his image. We can reflect and mirror God's glory in all we do. We bear the reflection of God. Guess what? No other creature has that. Think about that. When we read the account of creation, God made out of the ground the trees and the birds. But what happened with us? What did the Trinity say? Let us make man in our we're image bearers of God. You guys don't seem excited about that. That is amazing. Then it's that word dominion. That word there in the Hebrew means to rule over, subdue, and manage. I love using this word. It means to work. We're to work. Now, I know that with the complexity and the frustration that come from work, work 
I've heard, well, that was the cause of the curse. No, it wasn't. It was before the curse. And I was like, oh! God worked in creation, and God made us to be workers for him. God gave us dominion to manage and to rule over his creation. Church, I want us to think about who we are in Christ, the image we're created in. We can look at everything, all those mundane tasks that we think about, particularly our work. We need to look at it not as a hassle. And I know, I, I, I've been there. Like, oh, I've got to go to work tomorrow. Kids to school. I hate school. I've heard that in our house this past week. Oh, I've got to go back to school. I hate school. I know, I've been there, yeah. But when we look at school or we look at our job as honor, not a hassle because of who we're reflecting. It puts things in perspective for us. So not only do we know that God created us, amen? God created us. Our second truth this morning is this. Man is God's reflection. Man is God's reflection. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. See, humans, we are created in the image and likeness of God. God who creates, he works. Humans were created to work just like their creator. So for many of us, are we going to go to work on Tuesday, because we probably have off tomorrow, with dread and despair? Students, are you going to go to work in dread and despair? But knowing who your creator is, knowing how you are made, and how you, why you are here should give us a different purpose. Ladies, at home, as a mom, as a wife, as an employee, as a neighbor, as a friend, how will you reflect the image of God this week? And what you do and what you say. Men at, at work, at church, at home, as a dad, as a husband, as a neighbor in your community, how will you, and how God's created you, how will you reflect the image of God in all that you do? And students at school, at home, as we talked last week, obeying your parents, how will you reflect the image of God and how you live your life this week? So let's look at Genesis chapter 2. Let's look at 7 and 8. Genesis 2, verses 7 and 8. It says this, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. I want you to understand this couple of these words here. We're going to look at the word formed, breathed, and living creature. That word formed there is fashioned or planned. You know that God knew you before the foundations of the world? It says in Ephesians chapter 1. He formed Adam. He planned Adam. This was not a surprise to God. God formed. He planned. And I love that word breathe. In the Hebrew it has this idea of breathing into or upon. Again, we are the only creation that God did that to. Breathe life into into him and what happened man became a what a living creature here's a picture that i found on the internet just kind of gives us a picture of just kind of a we, there was the michelangelo painting of you know god and finger touching man i was like eh. this here gives this i want you to picture the idea of god just forming humanity out of the dust of the ground all the complexities all the complexities you know, I don't mean to be morbid here, but you know, we've been to funerals, we've seen corpses in our lifetime. 
that body is dead. The soul is gone. The body is dead. But that body still has the complexities of what it was created to do. It has the veins. It has the heart. It has the brain. The compl- God formed all those things. It's amazing. I, I, I love what Psalms 139 says. I intricately woven you in the depths of the earth. Now, He's done that in his mind with us, and he did it physically here with Adam. The human body is totally amazing. The only person, the only way we can be here is by a creator. We just didn't happen. We have a creator. I, I, when Mitch was going through his stuff with his blood clot, and we were in the hospital for like, it seemed like forever, the, they said there's a couple clots in these veins that, down here that will probably will happen, will clog up, because there's nothing to worry about. I'm like, what are you talking about? They will find other veins, and they will make other veins to go back and forth in your body. I'm like, Phew. And the doctor said, well, it's just the way the body works, and I'm like, it's God, because God created it that way. Isn't it amazing? We are a living creature. So you might say, well, how are we a reflection of God's image? Well, there are four areas in which we are a reflection of God's image. Number one, we're rational beings. We have rationale. We evaluate, we think, we explain, we formulate thought, we create, we build, don't we? And every, every single one of us. Well, that's who God is. God created. God thinks. God formulates. And we are just a picture, a image of God. Think of art and music. Uh, Peter Ferrer was here early. He's an he's a, he's a architect. And he was referring to just how, how many beautiful buildings you see. And you're like, wow, God gave individuals creativity and imagination. It's all, we're a picture, a, a reflection of who God is. I know Eric and I send music videos back and forth. Did you hear this band? That's amazing. Why? Because God gave musicians creativity and artship to what reflect God's image. Because God is creative. Number two, we have morality. Now, because of our sinfulness, we are sinners, but God's given us this right and wrong, this conscience of good and evil. Try this this week when you go to work. Ask your coworker, who was better, who was, more, who was good in, in the world? Was it Adolf Hitler or Mother Teresa? What would they tell you? Well, hopefully you would say Mother Teresa. She was a good moral person. She did things good. Adolf Hitler was a crazy lunatic murderer. Any normal person has some, a conscience say, yeah, that's, they're better because of how they lived. It's a sense of right and wrong. God, we are instead instilled as we were created with that. Number three, we're immortal. I know, what do you mean? We're going to live forever? We are going to live forever. Not your body, thank the Lord. But we're immortal beings. God is immortal. I, I love what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. We were made for eternity. And it's v- very, very interesting here. That word anthropos, think of the word anthropology, is two Greek words come together. You know what it means? It means one who looks up, one who keeps his head high. Isn't that beautiful? As creation, we are always looking and striving, what, for our creator. There's something bigger, there's a bigger purpose than, than on this earth, and it's God, it's eternity, because God has placed eternity in our hearts. So let me just pause here a moment. Let's talk about that particular uh, subject matter here this morning. 
if we're immortal, our souls are immortal, because God breathed life into us, we're immortal, we will all live forever. Here's the question, you will live one of two places. You will live one or two places. Your soul, when you, when you die and you exit this life, you will wake up in one of two places. Eternity. Well, for those that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will wake up in eternity with God, your creator. And if you haven't done that, we ask that, man, please, that's the most important decision that you can make in your life. However, on the other side, if you don't trust Jesus and you don't accept him, the, again, it's, it's just the, it's, it's God's truth and his word. If you die today and you wake up and you didn't, know, you didn't trust Christ your Savior, you will wake up in eternity in a place called hell. God placed eternity in our heart. We will live forever. And you choose which place you're going to live by what you do with Jesus by what you would do with Jesus. And I pray you make that decision. See, animals, when they die, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow some kids' theology here this morning. Animals don't go to heaven or hell. Sorry. But my kitty cat, they're just in the ground. Okay? Please, parents, forgive me for saying these things. I mean, you're going, what did Pastor Jason say? Little Fluffy's not in heaven. All right. But the truth is, they don't have souls. We have souls. We have morals. We have intellect. You ever answer a million questions from your kids or if you're a teacher or just young people in general? I know we've done it with our kids. Daddy, Mommy, why is the sky blue? Why do the trees do this? Why, 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 why? Shut up! No, I never said that. I never said that. What can you do as a teacher, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a niece, uh, aunt, uncle? What can you do? You answer those questions the best you can, pointing them to the creator. Well, I don't know much about it, right? Maybe we were talking yesterday. I was like, maybe you're really smart about this science stuff. I know nothing. But we we're focusing. This is, God made this. God designed this. And they're getting their answers. It's the creator. It's the creator. So number four in our image-bearing our image image, image bearing reflection is we have responsibility. We have responsibility. We're rational beings. We're moral beings. We're immortal, and we have responsibility. Look at Genesis 1.28. Genesis 1.28. And it says this, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He gives us three, thi- three, three responsibilities here. Number one, be fruitful and multiply. What's that mean? Fill the earth. Fill the earth with kids. Fill the earth with other human beings. That's what he's saying. Be fruitful and multiply. Noah said it to his, his family when, they, when the ark was on Mount Ararat. Listen, be fruitful and multiply. We see this through Scripture. Be fruitful and multiply. This is our responsibility as God's creation. Number two, subdue, control, keep it under conquer is actually the idea that, that God is telling us here, conquer the world. Subdue it, keep it under your control. And then there we see the word dominion again. Work, manage. You see, you get an idea of what our purpose here is. Oh God, what God made, made us for? We go back to Psalms 8. David reflects on this again. Psalms 8, verse 6, he says this. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. 
What's David saying? Listen, you have given, God has given man control over your works. God's works, actually, is that word there. God's achievements and labor we are in charge of. Wow. It's a lot of responsibility, isn't it? See, church, we need to understand our place in God's creation, what we were created to do. And when we think about that, we don't waste our work. We worship in our work. We don't waste time with our family. All these things that I mentioned earlier about all the things we spend time doing, the years that we probably will do them in our lifetime, we do them because, well, we have to, but in the process of going through those things, we can worship and we can reflect God's glory, and we can reflect his image in all that we do. So God created us. Man is a reflection of God, or man is God's reflection. And number three, my final truth this morning is this. God fellowships with man. God fellowships with man. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid himself from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Get that picture. Now, we know what this is. They're hiding because of their sin. But I want us to get a picture here of what is happening. It says that God was walking with them in the coolness, in the garden, in the evening. And this context, the complexity won't get into it, gives this idea that this happened frequently with God and Adam and Eve. Walking with them in the coolness of the Garden of Eden. Now we have another problem. We read this verse because theologically God is a spirit. God does not take on human form. But who in the Godhead does? Many theologians believe, and I I do believe this as we're studying this, that we see a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ here in creation. And and the examples we have are because anytime we see the angel of the Lord in Scripture, who is that? Pre-incarnate Christ. We've seen that in Daniel chapter 3. We've seen Nebuchadnezzar peeked in the furnace, and there's four guys in there. Well, he threw Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Who's the fourth guy we threw in there? Well, it was Jesus with them. Isn't it a beautiful picture? And we're going to talk about the Trinity in a minute. But this beautiful picture that Jesus is walking with, God is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden in fellowship with them. Look at Genesis 1.26 again. And we're going to talk about this, this triune God topic or the Trinity. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. That word us and our, I want you to circle. Because here is the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in eternity past, coming at some point saying, let us make man in our image. Do you mean, do you... When you read this verse, we, we kind of blow by this verse, do you, do you feel special as a human being? We, we should. Like, God made us out of his likeness and in his image. See, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but the pictures of the Trinity are all over the place in Scripture. So when people say, the Trinity's not in the Bible, yes, that is true. However, the picture is all over the Word of God in the area of the Trinity. There is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And those three, in unity, in the relationship, said, let us make man in our image. See, God is dependent. He does not need you or me. And we, we sometimes we, we sing worship songs that kind of rely, we, we don't hear, but rely on like this, that God created us because he was lonely. 
like this dependence on God, like he created us because he was just was bored up in heaven. No, he is not dependent on anybody. See, in the Trinity, there's fellowship, there's intimacy, there's conversation, there's interaction. Well, what did God do when he made man? Well, we long for fellowship. We have intimacy, we have conversation, and we interact not only with each other, but with God. I love what Paul said to the philosophers on Mars Hill. He said this in Acts 17, 24, and 25. So if you circle this verse here and just put Genesis 1 through 3 beside it, because this is talking about, again, in the New Testament, it says God created. God is the source of all life. Here's what Paul said to the philosophers there. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. That is our God. He does not need us. And he doesn't need us. He doesn't. He is God. But guess what? He created us for his pleasure and for his enjoyment because he wanted to. Isn't that amazing? And he breathed his life into us. That should give us a a, a kick in our step, a a purpose in life, that we are image bearers of God. So as we close, I want to ask a couple questions here. Do you take advantage of who you were created to be in God? Do we understand that when we work, when we play, that we are reflecting the very image of God in all that we do? Now, let, let, me, let me go it from another spot here this morning. We think of fellowship, intimacy, conversation, interaction. I'm, I'm going back to the basics here. So God created us. The Trinity, we knew, has fellowship among the Trinity. They have intimacy. They have conversation. They have interaction. So they created the humanity in their own image to have these characteristics. Do we reciprocate that with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit? Do we want to communicate and interact with God? Or we say, yeah, thanks for creating me, God. I'm good. Okay, I'm going through my life. It's back to the basics of Reading the Bible, praying, memorizing Scripture. It all comes back. That's our communication with God. How are we doing in those areas? Uh, uh, Mike Keaton encouraged the parents on, on Wednesday night with our, with our parent team kickoff. Listen, to memorize Scripture, to get in, into, in, into devotions, get an app, and, and have this community accountability with, with devotion. What, what was he telling us to, us to do? He said, listen, communicate with God. Interact with God. Love God. See, how, how, do we, how do we do that? Though? What are some other ways we can do that tomorrow or when we leave here? How do we interact with God? We pray. We read his word. What are some other ways? Well, how, about, how about listening to godly music, Christian music? Listen to a radio station with gospel music that gets our minds focused. One of our men here owns 107.7, Greg Hennis, uh, the, the Ascend. And when you talk to Greg... He's like, man, the only reason I bought this was that so that the gospel can go out and people can be encouraged in God's word. That's awesome. Use that. How about having verses in your home, in your car, your place of employment that get your mind set on things above, as Paul told the, the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 3. There's so many things that we can do to interact and communicate with God, to show and fellowship with him. 
But guess what, brothers and sisters? We've got to apply it. We've got to do it. We've got to act on it. Listen, we're here on this earth for a reason, for a purpose. We understand who created us. We understand why he created us. Now we need to go live it. Brothers and sisters, you're image bearers of God Almighty. Now what will you do with that? What will you do with that? So I challenge you this week. Think about who made you. Man, I'm an image bearer of God. I'm created by God. I reflect God's image. And God wants to fellowship with me. The creator of the universe wants to fellowship with his creation. I guarantee God's not fellowshipping with the animals. Can he? Sure. But he made us with that relationship. We should be honored. Let's live that way. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done for us. His head bows and eyes are closed just for a moment. I want you just to, to, to just think about your, your makeup. You, as we learned today, you were created by God. You are his image bearer. How will you live in the weeks to come, the days to come? How will you live? Will you live as a reflection of God? Young people, I just want to encourage you again, understand what we taught this morning is the truth. Society may tell you it's not, it's a lie. Don't believe it because we are following the truth of God's word. And maybe you're here today and you, you know, we talked about that idea of being immortal and maybe you, you know, you just haven't made that decision to follow Christ. Bottom line is this, we all will wake up in eternity one or two places and the choice is yours. And the question is, what will you do with Jesus? Will you trust him? Will you accept him? Or will you reject him? They're your two choices. And it's very interesting. When we talk about anthropology, God also gave us a free will. And we will choose. We can choose not to love him or follow him. I pray that's not because I pray that we choose to follow Christ. And so, Father, as we continue on through this week, help us to live as image bearers of you. And we ask this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Let's all stand up. Sing, there is a river of gladness. There is a river of gladness. It pours from Emmanuel's face. Sinner's blood beneath the flood in God's sea. Since then, I walk in forgiveness. Since then, I the best.